awesome children's sermon. It, it seems to me, Russell, like yesterday, she was one of these kids coming down for the children's sermon. And now here she is as a graduate, uh, soon-to-be graduate, uh, leading that. And we're grateful for that kind of legacy. And we can say that about so many others as well. Um, that was a, you were a good sermoner for the children there. And I guess that's what we're calling us now. Am I, am I a sermoner now? I prefer sermonator. If, if we're going to change that from pastor, you can call me your sermonator. So we've spent the last few Sundays looking at the resurrection and looking at all the implications of the resurrection. We've talked about the evidence the New Testament gives us, why it matters, the difference it makes in our world and our lives that Jesus physically, literally rose from the dead. Uh, we've looked at how that gives us hope that Jesus is victorious over sin, death, and hell. It gives us hope for our own future, for our own resurrection and eternal life. Um, and so we're going to finish this sermon series today. I know the sermon series is called This Is Not The End. Well, today this is the end of the sermon series. Uh, we're going to wrap this up today talking about the difference that the resurrection can make in our lives today. You know, last Sunday's sermon was entitled Life After Death. And, you know, the, the closer we get to that moment in our lives, the older we get, the more family and friends we see go before us, we all kind of start to wonder what life after death is going to be like. And it's a little scary because we don't really know because there's so much unexpected over that. Well, you know, I think it's fitting that today we're following up that sermon with Graduation Sunday because for our graduates, as Kelly so beautifully explained, there's also some fear there because of the unknown. We don't like change, even if it's good change, even if what's on the other side of that change is better than what came before it. Uh, it still can be a little bit scary, and you probably are wondering, what is life going to be like after graduation? So... I think graduation is a great analogy for us as Christians when we think about death, when we think about the resurrection, because for the believer in Christ, death is like a promotion, an advancement. It's a graduation of sorts. And, but just like for our graduates, it's going to be a little scary. There's some unexpected there. We don't know what it's going to be like. But the good news for today's sermon and for us today is that we don't have to wait for death to experience that resurrection power the choir sang about. Amen? We don't have to wait until life after death. We can experience today, right now, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. First of all, it is only through Jesus' death and resurrection that we can become members of God's family, that we can become citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said in John 5.24, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but catch this, but has crossed over from death to life, has graduated, has gone from death to an entirely new stage, a new phase from death to life. Jesus didn't die on the cross and rise from the grave to make mean people nice or to make bad people good or to make secular people religious. No, Jesus died and rose from the grave to make dead people alive. That's what He did. Not just physically at the resurrection when Christ returns, but spiritually. The moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you cross over from spiritual death to spiritual life. Paul writes about this in Ephesians 2. He said, As for you, you were dead 
in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So Paul is saying that we come into this world spiritually dead, blind, lost in our transgressions and sins. But he goes on to write, but because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And just for emphasis, he repeats what he said a minute ago, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So we who are dead in our sins, because Christ died for us, can die to our sins and be made alive in Him. And we don't have to wait for the resurrection for us to physically be in the heavens with Him. Paul says that spiritually we're already there. We're already seated with Him. We're already hidden in Christ before God's throne. As we heard in our New Testament reading, it's like we've been crucified with Christ. We've been put to death. And now Jesus makes us alive. He lives through us. And the life we now live in our body, we live by faith in Him. That's how we can live abundant eternal lives right now. When we trust in Jesus, He takes up residence within us. He comes to live within us and to live through us. Or as Jesus said, we abide in Him and He abides in us. Now this is deep. This is deep stuff. And so what I want us to do this morning is illustrate this and unpack it by looking at Luke chapter 24. If you'll turn in your Bibles there, we're going to look at Luke's account of the resurrection Specifically, these post-resurrection experiences. We want to look through the eyes of those closest to Jesus and see what it looks like for us to move, to graduate, if you will, from death to life. To move to this new stage, this new unknown way of life. And for our graduates who are literally doing that, moving into a new phase and stage of life, I especially hope that this sermon will help you intentionally follow Jesus throughout your life, to renew your commitment to Him, to seek His way and His will in everything you do. Let's pray together before we jump into today's passage of Scripture. Father, thank You for Your Word. It is truth. And we pray that Your Spirit, who has inspired it, would open up our hearts, our eyes, and our mind to understand it, to bring us clarity, to bring us faith and hope, to help us to be witnesses and worshipers of the risen Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen. So because of Jesus' resurrection, by faith, it's as if we can graduate from despair to hope. We can graduate. We can transition from despair to hope. And we see that happen here in the first 12 verses of Luke 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb. It's the women bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes, so the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? asked the men. He is not here, but he has risen. 
Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day? And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths. So he went away amazed at what had happened. So here Mary and and the other women, they go to the tomb that morning in despair because they'd forgotten Jesus' many promises that he would rise from the dead. And they went with no expectation of the tomb being open, much less empty. They had no reason to think that. They go there, though, to place spices on Jesus' body as a final act of love and devotion. So imagine their surprise and their horror when they get there and they find the stone rolled away. And I can imagine the trepidation they felt as they went to look inside, afraid of what they would see. And what they see is that it's empty. And so that really kind of leads to more despair and they're perplexed because they're worried. Has someone stolen Jesus' body? Have they taken it to desecrate it as some final act of, of, of hatred? It took angels appearing before them before they could remember and begin to understand what Jesus had told them before. And in that moment, they go from despair to hope. They came to the tomb in grief. They saw it empty with worry, but they're able to leave with hope and tell other people the good news that Jesus is alive. Now, of course, they go to the apostles who also failed to remember all the things that Jesus had told them, and they thought that these women were crazy with grief, that this was nonsense. Dead men don't get up and walk out of their empty tombs. But Peter was alarmed enough by this news that he went to see, and what he saw was an empty tomb and empty grave cloths. Warren Wearsby wrote, How sad it is when God's people forget His Word and live defeated lives. Here Jesus' disciples were walking around in despair, feeling defeated when their Master had just defeated death. They were part of a triumphant procession and didn't even realize it. Like we often do, they allowed their circumstances to override their faith to fill their minds and hearts with doubt and despair and discouragement. But it didn't have to be like that. Jesus had told them all that they needed to know. He had prepared them for this. Back in Luke chapter 9, verse 22, Jesus said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and He must be killed and on the third day raised to life. I mean, He spelled it all out for them. The disciples had no excuse. They should have seen this coming. But before we look down our noses on them, we, even more than they, have no excuse. We have something they don't have. We have the complete, fulfilled Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. We have no excuse for being people of despair. Paul wrote to the Roman Christians, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we may have hope. Hope. God has given us His Word 
to inspire us and help us to endure through the trials and difficulties of life, to guide us along the rough and narrow path, to prepare us for whatever may come down that road. But when we forget God's Word, we wallow in the valley of despair when we should be leaping and running for joy in God's resurrection garden. That's what we should be doing. Paul is a great example for us. Paul suffered so much for the gospel. He, he was stoned. He had shipwrecks. He had been you know, made fun of and mocked. He had been uh, imprisoned. He had this thorn in the flesh, whatever that was. Paul knew what it was like to face trials and difficulties, and he knew what it was like to struggle with despair. And so in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul shares how we cannot lose heart and instead find hope to hang on when life is hard. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18, Paul says, Therefore we do not give up. We don't give up. Even though our outer person, even though our body might be destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our light... And remember the things that Paul suffered. He calls them light and momentary troubles here. He says, Though our light and momentary affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. In other words, the weight of glory that is lying before us, that we have hope for, the momentary light afflictions we face, they pale in comparison to that. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Listen, we have everything we need to live a victorious life. We have God's Word to show us the way. We have God's Spirit to empower us to walk in it. And we have God's Son ever before the Father to make intercession for us. He's praying to the Father on our behalf. We have all that we need. The Word, the Spirit, and the Son of God. And when we face times of difficulties, and we all face times of difficulties, it can be difficulties you face in school, you know, with, with getting your grades up, with getting the assignments turned in, with dealing with classmates or issues that you've got, getting into the right school, getting that scholarship, whatever it is, finding a job, being a mom and a dad, trying to raise our kids or be able to make ends meet at the end of the month, or health problems that we may be dealing with, whatever it is, it's easy to give up. It's easy to give in to despair. Turn on the news for more than five minutes. <laughs> it's easy to despair at the situation in our country and in our world. That's why we need Jesus to give us spiritual sight so that we can fix our eyes on what is unseen and eternal so that we can know that these light, momentary afflictions are passing away and soon will give way to the eternal glory that outweighs them all. Jesus, open our eyes that we may see so that we can go from despair to hope. And when we do that, He also will help us to graduate from confusion to clarity. To go from confusion to clarity. I look at verse 13. Now that same day, two of these disciples were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place, and while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus Himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing Him. And He asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? 
And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Clopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? What things? he asked them. So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. So here these two disciples are. They're they're in despair, and they're in confusion. They had such high hopes for Jesus, for all that He represented, and now it seemed like those hopes had been dashed. And they've heard these rumors, these reports of an empty tomb, of angels, of of even Peter going and seeing the tomb empty, and Jesus wasn't there, but they simply couldn't bring themselves to believe it. And I think maybe that's what prevented them from recognizing the presence of Jesus. I don't think necessarily that somehow Jesus was preventing that. I think they were prevented because they were in such despair. They were so discouraged. They were so perplexed. They were so confused that they didn't even realize Jesus was right there with them in their midst. Let's continue on in verse 25. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary For the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into His glory, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted for them the things concerning Himself in all the Scriptures. Now listen, these men knew the Scriptures. The disciples of Jesus, they knew the Bible. Moreover, they had seen Him work miracles. They had heard Jesus teach. And even though they heard about the angels and the empty tomb, they still didn't get it. Isn't it amazing how we can have something staring us right in the face and we still miss it? We just look right over it, right through it. Some of my favorite TV shows and movies are the ones that have some twist at the end. You know, you've probably seen some of those like The Sixth Sense, you know, for example. And you see the end of the movie and you want to immediately go back and rewatch it because you're going to see stuff you never noticed before. And all of a sudden, all these things click and they begin to make sense. Everything changes because you know how the story ends. That's what the crucifixion and resurrection does for the scope of the Bible. It clicks all the pieces in place. When you know how the story ends, it all begins to make sense. But listen, without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you're still going to miss it. You could be a Bible expert, but if you don't know Jesus, it's not going to click. That's why Jesus promised before He ascended to the Father that He would send His Holy Spirit to teach us all things and remind us of everything He said. And that's what's beginning to happen for these disciples on the road to Emmaus. Jesus is opening God's Word. He's walking them through the redemption story, showing them how it's all about Him. He is the fulfillment of all the Scriptures. Listen, especially our young people, we live in a world of confusion. And I feel like that our media and our politicians and even our corporations, our our leaders in society and culture, it's like they thrive on this confusion. They, They want us to be confused. They want us to be divided and at each other's throats. 
There are so many competing narratives out there. Nobody's interested in proclaiming truth anymore in the media. They just want to proclaim a narrative. And they try to make the facts fit their narrative. It becomes hard to know what narrative to believe. What worldview is right? There are so many falsehoods and half-truths out there, and I find it so ironic that we're in this information age, right? The Internet was supposed to be this information age, but it's turned into a misinformation, disinformation age. And with AI, you can't even trust anything you see or read on the Internet anymore. It seems impossible to cut through the noise and have any sense of clarity about what is true, about what is right. We need the Holy Spirit to fill us, to open our mind, to open our eyes, to open our heart to be transformed by God's unchanging truth. Look at verse 28. They came near the village where they were going. And he gave the impression he was going to go further. They urged him, stay with us. Because it's almost evening and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. But he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them gathered together who said the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. It wasn't until Jesus broke bread that they realized who he was. Now it's possible that that relates back to the Lord's Supper. You know, maybe they were there in that upper room when Jesus took the Seder meal and reinterpreted it to be about Him and He blessed and broke the bread. Maybe that was part of it. But listen, sitting down at a table with people and breaking bread was a normal part of everyday life. There was nothing spectacular about that. Anybody hardly ever ate alone back then. Meals were a communal experience. I think it's the simple act of sharing table fellowship with Jesus that opened their eyes to His presence. You know, as Christians, we focus a lot on education. Education is important. Most of the great schools and universities in this country were founded by Christians. And, and church is all about the pastor communicating knowledge to uh, the people in the congregation or a Sunday school teacher communicating knowledge to their class. We want people to read and study the Bible. We've got Christian books and seminars. We had a women's simulcast yesterday. We love to convey information. But listen, even if like with these two men, even if Jesus is teaching you a crash course on the Bible Himself, you're not going to get it unless you have a relationship with Him. And that's what this shows. We need more than information for our head. We need transformation in our heart. And the only way that comes is through a relationship with God and with His people. That's what it takes. The only way we can be spiritually transformed into Christ's likeness is if we're going to have regular, daily, intimate fellowship with Him. We need to be breaking bread with Jesus every day in prayer and in His Word. These disciples talked about a, a warming in their hearts as Jesus explained the Scripture to them. 
So opening our eyes to see Jesus isn't just purely intellectual. It's a heart thing. It's about love and hope and faith and trust. It isn't always rational. Sometimes it defies logic. They felt this truth in the core of their being. When we're in intimate fellowship with Jesus, we're going to learn stuff. We're going to learn a great deal. But more than that, we're going to experience things that can't be taught. They can only be caught. They can only be experienced as we spend time with Jesus. And the more we spend time with Jesus, the more we're going to think like Jesus, talk like Jesus, act like Jesus, and love like Jesus. And it seems counterintuitive, but the way to clarity in our minds is through the warmth of fellowship with Jesus in our hearts. It's through that relationship. And it's through relationship with the people of Jesus at our side. Now don't get me wrong, the Christian faith is a reasonable faith. We can embrace its truths thoughtfully with our minds, but we must also experience it transformationally in our hearts. Through our daily walk with Christ and by gathering together with God's people who also hunger and thirst for His Word. And when we do that, we can move from confusion to clarity. Third, we can also move from doubt to faith. Let's look at verse 36. As they were saying these things, Jesus Himself stood in their midst. He said to them, Shalom. But they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Now, that just shows you how unexpected this was, how inexplicable this was to them, that their first reaction is it's, it's a ghost, right? So uh, we go on to verse 44. Um, I'm sorry, verse 38. Why are you troubled, he asked them. And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and feet. But while they were still amazed and in disbelief because of their joy, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. I love that phrase that says, because of the, they were amazed and in disbelief because of their joy. Have you ever had so much joy before that you were in disbelief? It's almost like this is too good to be true. Is, is this for real? That's how overwhelmed they were with joy and amazement. But Jesus never rebukes them for this. He's so patient. Amen? Isn't God patient with us? He's so loving and kind and patient. He, 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 he gives them His hands and His feet to touch. He sits down and He eats food in front of them. He's doing everything He can to gently lead them along into the truth and present the proof that He is risen from the dead. Verse 44, he told them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. He also said to them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day. Now I want you to notice two gifts of faith. When we move from doubt to faith through the resurrection power of Jesus, the first gift is it brings peace to our hearts. They were afraid of Jesus. They thought He was a ghost. We're often afraid of things we don't understand. And if there's somebody that we don't know real well, we're a little afraid of them, we're kind of leery of them, do we want to trust them? If there's a situation that may seem a little dangerous, we're not so sure about it, we want to avoid it. It's like they were trying to avoid Jesus. They were looking at Him askance, skeptical. They weren't quite sure about it. But through this relationship with Jesus, with the risen Christ, that fear is replaced with peace in their hearts. But secondly, it brings understanding to our minds. 
Yes, doubt can be a spiritual issue, making our hearts afraid, but doubt can also be an intellectual issue, making our minds closed to the truth of the Bible. As I said before, if we don't have the mind of Christ revealed to us by the Spirit of God, we're not going to get it. We're not going to understand or comprehend God's will or His purposes. The gospel makes no sense to the carnal mind. The natural mind, it's a stumbling block. It's foolishness. They don't understand it. Clarity and faith can only come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if Jesus' own followers who experienced all of this, if they struggle with it, how much more are people today going to struggle with it? Listen, we should not be surprised when people today struggle with the gospel. When lost people misrepresent the gospel or they mischaracterize Christians and churches, we shouldn't be surprised. Don't be shocked when lost people think, talk, and act like lost people. They don't know the Lord Jesus. What we have to do is develop our relationship with Him. Grow in our understanding of God's Word and ways through prayer, through Bible study, through being active in our local church, depending on the Spirit of God. And then we should live out and proclaim the truth of God in word and in deed. And as we do all of this, we need to be patient with people. Pray for them. Walk with them slowly as Jesus did. Don't get flustered with them. Don't argue with them. Don't get mad at them. Just consistently live out the gospel before them. Consistently share the gospel with them. Love them like Jesus and pray for them every day. Peter Marshall, who was once the chaplain of the U.S. Senate, he said the stone was rolled away from the door not to permit Christ to come out, but to enable the disciples to go in. God wants us to go in. God wants us to see Jesus. God wants us to gain clarity so we can understand and have faith so we can believe. Listen, God's not putting stones in the way. He's rolling them out of the way. God wants to make this as easy for people as possible. He's not making it difficult. The open, the empty tomb is there today for all the world to see. And it is an open invitation that whosoever will may come and know the risen Jesus. Two final points. We can live a resurrection life today and we can graduate. We can move on. We can be transformed from weakness to witness. Jesus continues on and He's saying the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day. In verse 47, and He says, And repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in His name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my Father has promised, meaning the Holy Spirit. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. This is Luke's version of the Great Commission right here. And now Luke goes on to write the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, this word witness is mentioned 29 times. That's more than there are chapters in the book. Because that's what we are. We are witnesses to the risen Jesus. We're witnesses to His power at work in our lives and our world today. We're more than witnesses of just something that happened. We're witnesses to someone that we personally know. Someone who is radically transforming our lives. Someone who loves us more deeply than anyone else. We are witnesses and we should bear witness to Jesus every single day. And what is one of the greatest pieces of evidence that Jesus Christ is alive? It's your life and mine. 
When we look in the New Testament, we see how these milk-toast men, these childish men who love to argue with each other and never quite seem to get what Jesus was saying, these men who ran and hid and left Jesus to the wolves, yet something happens in their lives and they are changed. They become mighty warriors of the cross. They plant churches. They perform miracles. They risk their lives. They face persecution and death. Why? Because they know the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Jesus told them before He ascended to heaven, He said in Acts 1-8, this is the, the, the Great Commission in Acts, He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Listen. You and I aren't that different from these disciples. We have weaknesses. Do you have a weakness? Do you have weaknesses you struggle with? Do you have things in your past you're ashamed of? Do you have things that you struggle with? Listen, we can bear witness because of our weaknesses. What did Paul say? He said that by God's grace, His power is made perfect in our weaknesses. Because of our weaknesses, we can demonstrate the grace and the power of God because we can say, look, it's not me. This isn't me. This is Jesus working through me. This is God giving me the ability. And we can take our weaknesses and we can turn them into witnesses. The Great Commission. Jesus has sent us into this world to be His witnesses and to make disciples. And that's a job that none of us will ever graduate from or retire from. As long as you and I have breath in our lungs, our mission is to tell others the good news. And you may say, well, David, I'm just not a great speaker. I'm not a people person. I'm not good at that kind of thing. What's the point of this? He takes our weaknesses and helps us be witnesses. So whatever your weakness, whatever your fear, whatever you are unsure of, the resurrection power of Jesus can turn you into as powerful a witness as Peter. Peter who couldn't keep his foot out of his mouth. If he can do that for Peter, he can do it for you. And finally, the other side of that coin of witnessing is worshiping. He can help us go from being warriors to worshipers. Look at the last few verses here. Then he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven. After worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple, praising God. Remember how that first Easter started. It started with the women worrying. Worrying about the stone over the tomb. And they get there and the stone is removed from the tomb and their worry turns into worship. And they worship Jesus Christ. That's what the resurrection does for us. We can cast our cares on Him because He cares for us. We can look beyond the troubles and trials of this life to an empty tomb and know that whatever we face, whatever we're worried about, God will see us through. These things too shall pass. Psalm 22, which we looked at especially in our series on the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross. It's a powerful prophetic description of what Jesus endured on Calvary. And remember, it begins with what Jesus says from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there are times in our life we may feel that way. Forsaken. We're worried. We're stressed. We're anxious. We're afraid. But the psalm ends, as we heard in our Old Testament reading this morning, with they will proclaim His righteousness to a people yet unborn, for He has done it. What has Jesus done? He's defeated sin, 
death, hell, and the grave. He's conquered and crushed the serpent's head. He's canceled the written code that stood against us by nailing it to the cross. He has disarmed all the powers and principalities and He has defeated them by the cross. And because of Jesus' victory, we are more than conquerors through Him who loves us. He's the good shepherd who laid down His life for the sheep and took it up again. How can we not worship instead of worry? How can we not forget our weaknesses and be witnesses for the One who has done it for us? This morning we've celebrated our graduates and what they've done, what they have finished and accomplished. It's a time of change. It's a time of transition for each of you. Graduation marks the end of one phase of life and the beginning of another. And in the same way, the resurrection power of Jesus made available to us by the gracious gift of God's indwelling Spirit who we receive when we put our faith and trust in Jesus for salvation. And that moment of salvation, what do we do? Just as graduation is a, is a marker in your life, when you come to faith in Jesus, we mark that moment with a baptism. And then, every time we gather at the Lord's Supper table, it's to remember. It's to mark that memory of our salvation. But listen, we gather together in worship every week to reflect on the meaning of our salvation. And I hope to our graduates that you will make sure and be in church regularly wherever you are, remembering and thinking about the meaning, the impact, the import of the crucified and risen Jesus. And I pray that everyone here, I pray you've experienced the power of the risen Christ. I pray that He has moved you from despair to hope, from doubt to faith. I pray that He is now moving you from confusion in this world to a clarity of mind, of certainty on the truth of God's Word. And I pray that you are growing out of weakness into being a strong witness for Jesus and that you are moving from being a warrior to being a worship warrior for Jesus Christ. That's my prayer for you today. But it all begins with that moment that we cross over from death to life. That moment... Just like in a, in a graduation ceremony, there's that moment where you are declared graduated. You, you, you've had your commencement. You are no longer a student there. You're an alumni of that school. And so being when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, in that moment, you go from death to life. In that moment, you go from creation of God to child of God. In that moment, the Spirit comes to live in you. Your name is written in heaven and you are forever secure as a child of God. And if you don't know that you've experienced that, if you have any questions or doubt about that whatsoever, I'm going to be standing down right here and I would love to help you know Jesus Christ in a personal way that can transform your life just as we've learned about this morning. Maybe God is speaking to you in some other way. He's calling you and your family to unite with this church, that this could be the church that can help you to witness and worship and help you to grow in your clarity of God's Word. Maybe God is calling you to step out in faith and publicly commit to following Him in some form of ministry. Maybe God is just speaking to your heart and you know that you've had a little too much worry weighing on you. You know that you've been focused too much on your weaknesses. You've been letting the world confuse your mind. Maybe you just want to come and pray at this altar and lay it all at the feet of Jesus and ask Him to help you experience anew and afresh the resurrection power that is available to each of us. Let's stand together and pray and I pray that you will come and respond in obedience to God's Spirit. Father, we thank You for the powerful truth, the reality that Jesus is alive and He's coming back again someday. 
And we can experience the living Jesus in our hearts every day. That power is available to each of us. And so, Father, I pray Your Spirit would convict us, would encourage us, would stir among us, and bring us further into obedience to Your Word and Your will. In Jesus' name we pray.